You're listening to the Trinity Ministries podcast. For more information and to support our ministry, go to www.trinityhudson.org. Well, for those of you just joining us, we are uh, in the season of Lent. And as we've been talking about the last several weeks, that this idea of Lent uh, was set up really um, to help all of us understand and kind of prepare our hearts and our minds for why Jesus had to come and die on the cross and rise again in the first place. It's Lent is 40 days before Easter. Actually, it's 46 on the church calendar because we start on uh, Ash Wednesday. Um, and it's one of, for us here at Trinity, it's one of the longest series we do. Uh, and, and so if you're just coming in, we're at uh, about week four is where we are. Uh, but here's why this is such a powerful season for all of us. It's because it's about Jesus and it's about you. Thanks. Let's stand for prayer. And, um, <laughs> but it really is. It's that simple. This whole season is about Jesus first, obviously, but then it's about you and how, your two, how the two stories, your story and Jesus' story, intersect uh, during this, this season of Lent and how Jesus' death paid the price in full for your sin. And then that's what we celebrate on Easter. And this year, our series has been entitled... It is finished because we're looking at the last seven words of Jesus on the cross. And if you remember, anybody remember what the key phrase is that we've kind of been interweaving through the whole week or the two words, the two L words? Hard to say. Thank you. Limitless love. Because of Jesus, we live in the limitless love of God. And it's been really cool to hear the stories from the, the past couple of weeks um, the, the one week that we've gotten so many stories from was week three, you remember, a couple of weeks ago, remember that, when we had all of you take out your cell phones, who was there for that week? We did that, right? And we, for those of you who weren't there, we texted somebody because the whole thing was about encouragement and how Jesus encouraged his mom and, and John together in their relationship. And I got this one from Jacob just uh, yesterday, and uh, he did this in church. I had everybody take a selfie too. So here's Jacob, selfie in church. I love this, man. This is so awesome. And he says, right now I'm in church and I want you to know that God loves you and so do I. And then he blames me. Pastor had all of us send this to a special person and I thought of you. So the Holy Spirit prompted Jacob to think of this person and she responded, oh, I really needed this today. I've had a really, really rough week. So glad, laid it on, God, so glad God laid it on your heart to send it to me. Cool? Yeah. That's what God does. And I like the selfie too, Jacob. That's awesome. So today we are in uh, the Word of Christ um, that really is an amazing word that sometimes we, we switch, we go past very quickly. It's when he calls out on the cross, he calls out, I thirst. And in thinking about that word thirst, I actually thought of a commercial that's been playing for many, many years, still plays today. (laughs) Remember this? You know who this is? The most interesting guy in the world? And I love this commercial because basically the commercial is three statements, and then he closes with another statement. So the statement is like this, he is the life of parties he's never attended. If, I, if, you, if he were to punch you in the face, you'd have to fight off the strong urge to thank you. Sharks have a week dedicated to him. And then, you know, he's the most interesting man in the world. And then the last tagline is just the best. What's the last tagline? Anybody remember? 
Thank you, Mr. Eggers. Yeah, stay thirsty, my friends. Right. And yes, it's a beer commercial. The last shot is him with the two lovely ladies in the lounge drinking a Dos Equis or whatever it is. Um, but I think it's a brilliant ad campaign. It really is, top to bottom. Because, um, But even more, that whole phrase, that phrase, stay thirsty, my friends, is a great encouragement for your life and for my life. It really is. But the question that you and I have to struggle with or that we're going to be thinking about today is this question. What do you thirst for? Not beer. We're not talking about the beer part. But what is it? Think about in your life. What do you thirst for? What consumes your thoughts, your motivations, your waking hours? Is it job? Is it money? Is it popularity, recognition? Is it peace? You just thirst for peace or for comfort? The next big house, the next nice car, the bigger audience. What are you thirsty for? What, are your, what drives you to do the things that you do? So hold that thought because I want to talk about that word thirst from a physical perspective. The core of the word thirst. Have you ever been physically thirsty? The answer is yes, all of us have. But I don't mean the average thirst where you just drink, you know, a drink of water sounds good after a long walk or after doing some, some yard work on a hot summer day. I mean, have you ever been like really, really thirsty where your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth and you have to peel it off the top and, and you, it's just your mouth, it feels like your whole mouth is filled with something like this. sand. And you're just like, and you're dry, and you're dusty. And it's not something that you just drink a little bit of water to, to soothe. You're drinking gallons and gallons, and your mouth still is craving water and relief. Have you ever been that thirsty? Thirst for liquid is actually just a baseline physical need for human beings. We can go about three weeks without food, but we can only go about three days without water. I heard a story a few year, uh, that happened a few years ago. A young Marine corporal named Joey Mora, he was standing on the platform of an aircraft carrier uh, that was patrolling the Iranian Sea. Incredibly, he fell overboard, and his absence wasn't known for 36 hours. A search and rescue mission began, but it was given up on after the additional 24 hours, realizing he's lost at sea. No one could survive in the sea, and without even a life jacket, for at that time, 60 hours. His parents were notified that he was missing and presumed dead. And the rest of the story, though, is one of those truth is stranger than fiction events. In fact, script writers would pass, some, pass up the script because it's just not believable. But four Pakistani fishermen found Joey Mora 72 hours, about three days, after he had fallen from the aircraft carrier. He was treading water, and he was clinging to a makeshift flotation device made from his pants. Those of you in the military, I guess this is part of the training, that you can you create a flotation device from your pants. That's what he was doing. He was delirious when they pulled him out of the water and into their fishing boat. His tongue was like dry like this and cracked and felt dusty. His throat was parched, but he was saved. 
About two years later, he spoke on NBC News, and he recounted this unbelievable story of just a will to survive, and he said it was God. God was the one who kept him struggling to survive. And Joey said, but there was one thought that just racked my whole brain and physically took over my body, and the pounding in his brain was water, water, in the sea of water, water. You know what dehydration is like? First you get a fever, then it gives you this terrible throbbing pain in your head, then cramps in your abdomen, nausea sets in, your eyeballs actually start to shrink a little bit in their sockets, Um, then your lips go dry, your tongue gets swollen and thick, your throat feels like sandpaper, your vocal cords swell up, in the end you could barely breathe a whisper, and it doesn't sound like human words, it sounds actually like an animal croaking. Get that picture in your head as you think about Jesus on the cross now. It's been several hours since he's been up there after being beaten brutally. The horrible things of crucifixion. And he's on the cross and he's just about to die and give up his spirit. And so John 19 recalls just this little, just a couple of verses that we'll take a look at today. John 19 says this, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. His mission, very single and focused mission, was to seek and save the lost. That was it. His mission was not to heal. It wasn't to um, create, uh, multiply bread. It wasn't to walk on water. Those are all great things that showed and were signs that he was God. But his mission was to seek and save you, to pay the price on the cross. So now he knew his mission was now finished, and to fulfill Scripture, Psalm 69 is what he fulfilled, he said those words, he croaked out those words, I thirst. I mean, think about that. Loss of blood, exposure, the crowds taunting him, all of this, and he just, in the end, dehydration set in. I thirst, he says. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. Now, earlier, what's interesting is earlier, before he was actually, uh, the cross was set in place, he was offered um, this thing called gall. And gall is basically a somewhat of a numbing agent that they would give people that were crucified to kind of help them through the pain, to take the edge off of the pain pretty much so that they could survive longer. Um, but, the, but when Jesus knew, found out what that was before he was crucified, right before they put him up on the cross, he refused it. So it's kind of like your doctor or your dentist going in, getting a filling, and you refusing Novocaine. For me, I'm like, just put me out, man. Where's the gas tank? I just want to be out for that. Yeah, I mean, even just sitting in the chair makes me nauseous. But on a bigger scale, obviously, Christ went through all of this willingly without any medication or numbing effects. Sour wine, on the other, other hand, it actually would revive him somewhat. That was actually a drink that the Roman soldiers would drink uh, as a daily wine. It was a sour wine, and they would, they would, mix, um, they would mix water in with it uh, for an, a unique taste. So a jar of sour wine was sitting there, and they soaked a sponge in, the Romans did, soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. And then he tasted it, And he said one last thing, which we'll talk about next week, but then he died after saying, I thirst. Scholars and theologians say a lot of things about this cry, I thirst. It's actually kind of funny to me. 
they dive deep into the, the letters that make up the Greek word of I thirst and how Jesus was thinking about these letters and how the fulfilling scripture and prophecy. And it just is like deep thing. And I'm going, guys, he was thirsty. It's the basic desperation, you know, the basic cry of a human desperation. And what we can take from this is he knows your physical pain. Jesus was human. At this point, he wasn't a spirit. There's a whole heresy that there was in the early church that at this time he had given up his spirit already and he was a spirit, so this was just kind of going through the motions. He's a human being, 100% human, 100% God. You and I will never face this kind of agony. But Jesus did. And here's something to consider. Jesus put obedience in God as his thirst above everything else. He put his obedience to what God's mission was, God's will was, as his thirst above everything else. Philippians 2 says, obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Christ was, one of the commentators said, Christ was obedient to the will and plan of the Father. His fifth word from the cross, I thirst, is a reminder to you that no matter what the cost, we've been called to a life of obedience. We don't like that word, do we? I've got to obey God? The cry of our Lord, I thirst, speaks to you and me of his obedience to the Father. I mean, think about being in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He's like, Lord, please, God, my Father, take this cup away from me, he says. Remember that story. Take this away from me. A couple hours before he was going to the cross, I, I, I can't endure it. And then he says, but I'm surrendering. Not my will, but God's will. Jesus wanted God's will, not his own. God's will was what Jesus thirsted for. And so I want to ask you again, what do you thirst for? What consumes your thoughts, your motivations, your waking hours? Job, money, popularity, recognition, peace, comfort. Next big house, next big car, bigger audience. What do you thirst for? Could it be? Could it be that the struggles and frustrations you're experiencing right now in your life are because you're thirsting for the wrong things? Could it be that your feeling of emptiness and lack of purpose in life or boredom is a direct result of you being thirsty primarily after the, the dust of this life. All those things are okay. I'm not, don't get me wrong. But we put that ahead of Christ. When our kids wake up on Sunday morning and they're tired, okay, we'll sleep in this morning and we won't go. You put their will above God's will. We do it all the time. I do it all the time. It's a constant battle of the Christ follower. Thirst after being like Christ. The other area we, we, we don't thirst after godly things first is what we say or what we post. Is what we're posting and saying building up or is it tearing down? Because believe it or not, we have the ability, you and I have the ability to be this in people's mouths, in people's lives, or to be this. What does your life reflect? 
Are you this? Or are you this? Do you make people more thirsty? Christ follower, or do you represent the living water that Christ gives? If you put Christ before your reactions and emotions and pride and selfishness, you'll be water. If you put your trust in Christ for eternity, you'll be in a forever relationship with the God of the universe. And so when Christ calls out, I thirst, it's a reminder to us for us to thirst for righteousness and thirst for great things in life, but ultimately for Christ and God's will to be first. And we have this to look forward to. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor the scorching heat for the lamb, Jesus, at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and Get this, God himself will wipe away every tear from your eyes. That's the hope we see in the gospel. That's the hope we see in Christ. Thirst for God, put his ways above your wants, and he will give you new and better wants as you seek him. And above all, stay thirsty, my friends. Let's stand to pray. Lord God, we thank you that Uh, In the midst of Jesus' pain and agony and as the, the, the dryness of his mouth and his throat felt like the sand, Father, just filling his mouth, we thank you that he was able to at least get out and utter those words, I thirst, because we do know now, it, it, it confirms once again that he was 100% human and 100% God, and we use that idea of thirst, God, as we thirst after you, as we long for you, as you are our spring of living water. Father, help us to examine today and this week and maybe even ask our kids, what are you thirsty for? What drives you? And if there are things, God, that your Holy Spirit wants to bring up in our lives that we've been putting above you, help us to recognize that, acknowledge it, and make some changes where changes are needed, Father. God, in all things, we love you. And we thirst for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of us said.